0: thank you for that joey appreciate that hey good morning everyone if you're a visitor here we just want you to know hey we're so glad that you're here Uh, You picked a great Sunday to come, and we have been praying that it would be a tremendous blessing uh, just to all of us. Now, hey, you may have guessed that we're working our way through Jesus' most uh, famous sermon. It's a sermon that we find in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've said this every week that it's so important to understand the backdrop for this sermon is the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else, and we've also said every week that two things matter most in the kingdom of God. Uh, relationships in the kingdom are more important than the most important thing. In fact, every command Jesus gives in this sermon is designed to elevate the value of relationships, even like the verses today, in, with, when we have relationships with people who hurt us, who wound us, who disappoint us, even betray us, talk about us behind our back. And uh, the second thing we've said that's so important in the kingdom beyond relationships is just having a heart that longs to serve God. And we've said that whereas the law, which Jesus is quoting from again and again and again, when he says, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, he's quoting the law. The problem with the law is the law could only focus on behavior. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus wants to transform and change human hearts. And so today, he's going to talk to us about what we need to do when someone hurts us, shames us, betrays us. Now, we see that first phrase, you've heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That is right out of Exodus chapter 21. And a lot of people hear this and they kind of think, well, you know, that sounds kind of barbaric. Like, why would that make it into the Bible? Like, why would God want us to do that? And so I want to tackle that one first. So I want you to imagine life in its earliest days, back when there was no governance, no constitution, no justice system. Basically, it was every man for himself. You hurt me, I'll hurt you back. And I will hurt you back even more Then you know, you hurt me. In fact, we don't even have to teach this to our children, do we? I mean, they come out of the womb wired like that. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. And how much will I hurt you? I will hurt you as much as I possibly can and still get away with it. In fact, you hear all the time these days, right? Somebody will just accidentally cut someone off in traffic. And so what do they do? They pull out a gun and they take their life. They shoot them because they simply, you know, cut them off a little early, right? So I want you to think about a world like this where there are no laws to prevent that, no police to oppose it, no courts to punish it. And one day into this lawless world came a law, eye for eye tooth for tooth. This was not teaching revenge. What it was actually doing is limiting retribution. It was saying, look, if somebody knocks out your tooth, you're not allowed to go out and kill them just because it feels good. It was actually teaching about justice and the nature of justice. And this was an enormous step forward in the ancient world. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But there was still a problem. And that's this. While this law was good at limiting revenge, it couldn't touch or change a heart that wanted revenge. So, there was a mom has two children in another room. There's a baby and a five year old kid named Billy. She hears a scream. So, she says, Billy, what's going on in there? Nothing, Billy says. Billy, what's going on? Billy says, well, the baby just pulled my hair. It makes me really mad. I'm just going to let the baby have it. Mom says, no, Billy, you have to understand. The baby doesn't know. I mean, the baby doesn't understand how bad it hurts when somebody pulls somebody else's hair. Five seconds later, the little baby screams. Billy, what's going on? Billy says, well, now the baby knows, right? Because we live in a world where, hey, you pull my hair, I will pull your hair. And Jesus says, look, there's a better way. There's a higher way. There's a deeper way. And his followers understood this. In fact, Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, we'll talk about this verse more in a little while. Don't repay evil for evil. Peter writes one time, do not, pay, do not repay evil with evil or even insult with insult. On the contrary, re, re- repay evil with blessing. And then what Jesus begins to do is he walks us through some clear and specific examples of what they might look like, what some ways this could be lived out and these were examples that seemed kind of odd to us, but they wouldn't have seemed odd to jesus original audiences at all. In fact, Jesus is actually referring in every case to concrete situations in that day that everyone would have experienced. Now, I want to say out of the gate. I think these are probably some of the, uh, these are certainly some of the most famous words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but they're also, unfortunately, some of the most misunderstood, and they're certainly some of the least applied commandments of Jesus, because this just strikes right into our hearts. And so, uh, he is saying, here's the context for what we're about to To walk through together. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, as you make God your heavenly father, as you actually learn to live depending on God for things like security and love and approval and safety and well-being, it makes it possible for you to respond to other people, even your enemies, in ways you could have never imagined before. God gives you that kind of wisdom. He gives you that kind of power. He gives you that kind of strength. When you get all wrapped up in His approval, you're less concerned about the approval of others. And He gives four examples of this. He says, look, I want to show you what this looks like with a slap, with a shirt, with a walk, and while you're alone. I want to show you what this might look like with a slap and a shirt and a walk and while you're alone. So he says, well, you know, you've heard eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I say, you know, don't take, uh, I say if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, and we're going to come back right cheek, this is so important, why the right cheek? Uh, then, you know, t- then turn and just uh, and let them uh, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, listen, a couple things here Jesus is not saying. This is about personal retaliation. This, so a couple things this doesn't mean. If, if you see someone else hurting another person, you should intervene. Like, so if somebody slaps my wife on the cheek, I'm going to be all over them like ugly on an ape right? You better believe it. This is, this is about personal retaliation. I would argue we still have a duty to protect and nurture those that we love and even those that are unable to fight for themselves. Um, what he's doing is he's describing a very specific situation that his audience would have immediately understood. And part of the key to understanding that is that Jesus uses the phrase, the right cheek. Why in the world get so specific? What difference would it make what cheek they slap? Well, society in Jesus' day was built around honor and shame. And to attack someone's honor was like a meltdown situation. And, that, and also what you need to know in that society, sorry lefties, but the left hand was considered unclean. It was considered unclean. Um, uh, you know, you you couldn't, like, so if you were going to be in a fight, you wouldn't be allowed to use your left hand. You could only use your right hand. It was considered less honorable than the right hand. So if you were going to hit somebody, you would always hit them with your right hand. Well, the only way to hit somebody on the back, on the right cheek with your right hand is what? Backhanded backhanded. And so this is, this is actually a call to receive shame and humiliation well, because a slap like that was something that you would only do to somebody who had a lower status than you. A slap like that would be done to somebody who's socially inferior to you, who's done to a slave or done to a child or done to someone way below you on the status pole, on the totem pole, Jesus says, okay, you're my follower. You're living in the kingdom of God where relationships matter. You get into a conflict with somebody and they shame you. They humiliate you publicly. Remember last year, the slap at the Oscars? What did you feel in that moment for Chris Rock? Yeah, you felt for him, right? Because he had been publicly humiliated. So sure, there's a physical slap involved, but that's not what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, look, you should be so, you should have hearts so attuned to God that you're willing to endure public humiliation and public shame in my name. Now, when you slap somebody like that, People think, well, there's two responses, right? There's two ways people can respond. They can respond in anger and retaliate and hit them back, or they can cower in fear and they can run away. And Jesus says, no, you don't have to do either of those. None of those are good options. You can be strong enough to literally turn the other cheek. And interestingly enough, if you turn your left cheek to somebody who can only hit you with their right hand, right? They can't do that anymore. They can't demean you. They can't humiliate you anymore. Jesus says, look, that's a better way. Sure, you could just stand there and then turn the other cheek. Um, And then the other guy, he can't backhand you with your left cheek. He can't do that. That's part of the other cheek deal. So here's the issue Jesus is getting at in this scenario. How are you going to respond when people hurt you? Will you recoil in fear? Are you going to retaliate in anger? Or will you stand strong without the need for anger or fear? And there are all kinds of ways to illustrate this. That's just one. That's the slap. But he says, all right, I'm going to give you another situation. Let's say somebody sues you. They take you to court and they literally take the shirt off your back. Now, if somebody's being sued for their shirt, how much money do they probably have? Hardly any, right? No money at all. This is a poor person. This is probably somebody who's unable to repay their debts. And so Jesus says, look, now you're in the care of your heavenly father. If somebody sues you and they take away your shirt, you know your heavenly father is going to provide you with another shirt. So you could take off your coat and hand that over as well. Now, let me ask you a question. How often do you find the word pants in the New Testament? Zero. You never find the word pants in the New Testament. They did not wear pants back then. Pants are not biblical clothing. They're not. They would wear two garments, well, three garments in that day. They would wear a shirt that was kind of an inner garment and then kind of an undergarment, and then they would wear a coat or a cloak over that. And so the poor, if they wanted to, needed a small loan, they would sometimes have to actually give their coat as a pledge or as a deposit if they got desperate, if they had to borrow any kind of money. They had nothing else to put up for collateral. They'd have to give up their coat. So Jesus says, you're poor, but you have a heavenly father who cares for you. Somebody takes you to court. They take away your shirt. Well, hey, why don't you just go ahead and Give them your coat as well. Hey, take this too if you think this will help you. And the aim, remember, what have we said? This is so important. Relationships matter more in the kingdom than anything else. Relationships. The way we love God and the way that we love others. And so he's saying, look, so the aim here is to help the other person, the person who's suing you, come to their senses in seeing you do that uh, and so that there could be reconciliation and forgiveness and maybe one day they would know the jesus that you know maybe one day they would have the heart for their for for their father that that you have See, God is saying, look, because you, because you have me in you, you can be strong in the work of forgiveness and reconciliation. You live in the kingdom now. You are blessed. You're not weak and powerless. You're not the victim of either the desire, the angry desire for revenge or the need to run away and cower in fear. Another kind of life is possible for you to live. And then Jesus gives another example that would have been known right away. He says if anyone forces you to go with them 1 mile, you go too. And again, everybody knew the exact situation Jesus was talking about. So Rome occupied Israel in this day. And by law, a Roman soldier could walk up to any citizen of Israel, tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, I've got a heavy load here to carry. And by law, they were required to carry that whatever load that soldier wanted them to for one mile. And Jesus says, okay, so let's say a Roman soldier comes, taps you on the shoulder. And by the way, the Jews detested that law. They absolutely hated it. They despised it, as you can only imagine. And so Jesus says, okay, this Roman soldier, he makes you carry his burden a mile. I want you to think about him for a moment. Empathy is such a powerful thing. He's a young boy. He's from another part of the world. He's probably poor himself. He's hated here. All he gets from our land, from our people, is abuse and hostility. He gets shunned. He gets resented. He gets the cold shoulder. He gets called names behind his back. That's what he gets all day long. But we don't see that. All we see is our own pain and our own hurt. He's saying, you know, you don't see that soldier as somebody's son, as somebody's friend, as somebody's dad, as as a person with problems or someone who needs me. So Jesus says, this Roman soldier makes you carry something a mile. You finish the mile. You look that soldier in the eye and you say to him, hey, you know what? You look kind of tired. I bet your life is pretty hard here. Let's say we go one more. Let's say we do one more together, you and me. Can you imagine how that would blow that soldier's mind? I mean... Nobody did that for soldiers. That would be like when you get your bill, your tax bill from the IRS, you sending them a thank you letter with a little extra in it for the representative. That's what that would be like. I mean, it's mind-blowing. And then Jesus goes to another scenario. He says, Give to the one who asks you. Don't, don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, here's what this is a call to. Here's what, a call, what it's a call, what it's not a call to and what it is. It is not a call to giving to appease people's wants. Like, hey, I really want a new car. Will you loan me the money? No because you don't need a new car. This is a call to generosity in the face of a real need, not wants. In other words, we shouldn't give to others just because they want something. But if we see a real need, if we see someone in real need, we should be willing to step into that. Just kind of a funny thing. Anybody want to guess? out of all the factors like of relationships, like physical attractiveness, IQ, ability, personality type, everything else, out of every factor, what do you think the number one reason is that you decide whether you like another person or not? I'll let you think about that for a minute. What's the number one reason that helps you decide whether you like another person or not? You know what it is? It's if they like you. If you sense that they like you, you are going to respond in kind. If, and if they, if they like you, you will like them. And if they hate you, you will hate them. Now listen, God is not that way. This is where it is so hard for us to understand God because we project all our junk on Him. But God just loves people. He loves people that don't love Him. He loves people that would spit in His eye. He loves people who don't believe He exists. And he doesn't do it because he thinks it's the right thing to do. He does it because of who he is. He does it because of his character. And that's the kind of character, friends, that he wants for you and for me. And so Jesus says, look, I'm going to be here to help you do this. Because I know you can't do this by yourself. And this leads me to Jesus' second command. And here's the backdrop for that command. So all of us in the room, we tend to put people into two categories. There are friends and there are enemies. There are people who are with us and there are people who are against us. There are people we like and there are people we don't like. And it is against this backdrop that Jesus' words just sting. He says, you've heard it said. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That hate your enemy wasn't actually in the Old Testament, uh, but that kind of developed as a rabbinic law in reference to uh, other races, mixed races like the Samaritans, even though that wasn't in the Bible. But I tell you, Jesus says love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And by the way, the reason he issues this command is just as you are a child of heaven, he wants them to become a child of heaven. And what he's saying is, look, you should, uh, you you don't ever want to retaliate. Don't do that. Instead, pray for your enemies. Now, uh, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, I want to tell you what this is and what it isn't. First of all, this is not a command to feel something. This is not a command to get to a place where you look at your enemies or somebody you did, used to dislike and you go, I just love them. That's not what Jesus is up to here. In fact, these are not two commands. This is one command. And I think a better translation for this particular verse would be, love your enemies by praying for them. That's how we love our enemies. And here's what's so amazing about understanding this passage this way. This means first and foremost, this is not a call to feel something, it's a call to do something. And the do something that you do is you get down on your knees and you pray for your enemy in a moment, and you pray very, very specifically for them. And here is why. Here's what makes this command a game changer. See, two things begin to happen in you when you pray loving and good things for someone that you dislike. See, when you pray for your enemy, you're going to begin to view them differently. I remember... Several years ago, there was a new church plant in town. There was a lot of buzz that got generated by this uh, church plant. And I was a little jealous. In fact, I wasn't a little jealous. I was a lot jealous. I was kind of insecure about it. And anytime somebody would mention this church, I'd get this little knot in my belly, you know. And um, every time I'd hear the, the, the name of the church mentioned, I'd get this little knot. And I started feeling a little competitive with this other church. Not a little competitive, I'm just trying to be honest, a lot competitive. And one day, God said to me, I want you to start praying for that church. Excuse me? Right, like what? I mean, it was like out of nowhere. And so, I, I began to do that. And and within a very short period of time, my perspective about that church began to to change. I'll bet I prayed more for that church than its pastor did. I mean, I, I took it seriously. And do you know that I can honestly say months later, now it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a day or a week, but over a period of months, I lost Every ounce of competition. I, I wanted to see that church do well. I prayed for her pastor. We had a relationship. I grew to love that pastor. I mean, uh, because prayer began to tr- begin to transform wh- how I thought and looked at that church. Now, that church wasn't my enemy, right? I get that. but nonetheless, you can visualize a person. And it's the same principle. Uh, We can't can't pray. Uh, You know, in prayer, our vision of our enemy is transformed as we come to understand them as someone God loves. God wants to bless. God wants to have a relationship with. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, I can no longer condemn or hate Christians for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble they may cause me. So we, we love our enemies by praying for them, and by praying for them, we can begin to love them, you see? But the key here is that you don't pray, you know, for God, strike them dead, God, you know... You know, may your vengeance come. You know, we're not talking about those kinds of prayer. We're we're talking about prayers like this. Hey, God, would you bless them? Hey, God, would you do good things for them? Hey, God, would you do good things in them? Hey, God, I just pray that one day they might come to know you. Hey, God, would you, you know, give them a softer heart? Like not, you know, those kinds of prayers. So here's the question. Who do you need to begin to pray for like that? Who comes to mind? Maybe several people come to mind. Who has hurt you? Who do you not like? Jesus wants to transform the way you see and think and feel about that person. And as you come to him again and again and again in prayer, he will do just that. I wanna be clear There is nothing, there is no one in this world that I love and admire more than my Jesus. There has never been anyone like him. Jesus didn't just teach words like this. He lived them. See, the last week of his life, Jesus found out just how much his enemies hated him. He said, one day, if somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. And then on the final day of his life, we're told that as his enemies surrounded him. And as they spit in his face and struck him with their fists, even while saying, prophesy to us, Jesus, tell us the names of the people that are hurting you. And he could have, in anger, he could have called 10,000 angels. In anger, in fear, he could have just run away. He could have struck them all down just with a thought, but he stood there and he turned the other cheek. He said, if somebody takes you to court, takes the shirt off your back, tell him, here's my coat. Well, one day his enemies took him to court. They put him through the mockery of a trial. They condemned him to death. And then as an ultimate expression of shame and humility, they robbed him of his clothing And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares with the undergarment remaining. And they said, hey, let's not tear it. Let's decide by lot by throwing a dice who will get it. And they gambled for the last of his clothes. They take his shirt. Jesus says, hey, take my coat as well. He said, if Roman soldiers come someday and they make you walk with them a mile, then at the end of that mile, you say, hey, want to go another one? And one day the Roman soldiers came for Jesus. They forced him to carry a cross until he couldn't carry it anymore. And then we're told in Matthew 27 that a man named Simon from Cyrene was forced to carry that cross for Jesus when he could no longer carry it on his own. It's the exact same word used that Jesus uses here in the Sermon on the Mount. And he did that for Jesus. He walked a mile, another mile when Jesus couldn't. And then one day the soldiers came for Jesus And he went another mile with them. But at the end of that mile, he said, I'll go another and another and another and another. I'll go all the way. And he did. He did. Jesus said, if somebody asks you and there's a real need, don't turn them away. And one day, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops like blood. And he said to his father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. Don't make me drink it. I don't want to. But his heavenly father asked him for more. And Jesus said, okay, not my will. Yours be done. I see the need. I'll step into that. That's the one we follow. That's the Savior you can know. And friends, make no mistake, he is the only hope for this broken, twisted, messed up world. It's the way of the cross. It's the way that says, look, if you're evil to me, it stops with me. I'm not going to be evil back to you right? And so, and I know the situations will be different. Well, Paul summarizes all this in the book of Romans in such a simple verse, and I just, I think it can be so helpful. Romans 12, 21, he says, don't be conquered by evil, but instead conquer evil with good. In other words, if somebody slaps you, backhands you on the right cheek, and you hit them back, You just repaid evil for evil out of anger. You were conquered by evil in that moment. You were overwhelmed by your anger in a way that was destructive to someone else. He's saying, don't do that. Now, listen, here's the good news. You're probably not going to get slapped by somebody this week. Probably nobody's going to take you to court and sue you for your coat or your shirt. Probably no soldier is going to force you to go a mile, but you're going to have all kinds of other opportunities to love those who have hurt you. And it's the most important thing about each of your days and every day. God is going to give you an opportunity to resist evil, not to perpetuate it. The cycle stops with me. Not to pass it along, but to love. And when that happens, here's what I want you to do and here's what I want you to say and here's what I want you to think. You're going to when that moment happens, you're going to look that person in the eye. You may even live with them in your home. And you're going to look them in the eye and you're going to think to yourself, "Here's my chance. Here's my opportunity." Here's my chance, I'm taking it, you know. And the idea is that in each moment when there's something difficult, you know, relational problems, somebody's hurt your feelings, uh, you know, you just remember, okay, God, here's my chance. This is my opportunity. And I want this to get deep down inside of us. I mean, I want us all to really grasp this. So I'm going to even ask you to repeat after me. I want this to get into you. Here's my chance. Say that with me. Okay, that was pathetic. None of you meant that. So what I want you to say is, here's my chance. chance. Like you mean it. Here's my chance. chance. I'm going to take it. I'm going to do what my Heavenly Father asks me to do. Again, you're probably not going to get slapped, you know, you won't get sued, but here's what will happen. Somebody's going to ask you for a favor that you don't necessarily want to serve. You know, maybe there's a cranky person at work. How many of you have cranky people where you work? Yeah, listen, if your hand's not up, it's probably you. (laughs) Maybe it's an irritable person that uh you know you have to live with maybe maybe you work with them maybe you live with them maybe it's a homeless person on the street you don't want to look at whatever the scenario is when you come up again when you bump up against that moment what are you going to say to yourself what are you going to say here's my chance here's my chance our chance to be with our Savior, to learn from Him how to live, how to love, and just with the freedom to go, look, I don't have to respond in anger. I don't have to repay evil for evil, and I don't have to cower and run away in fear. Jesus, my Jesus is with me. He holds me. He keeps me. I, there's a better way. So, because this week, next week, maybe this afternoon, somebody's gonna hurt you. Somebody's gonna be insensitive. Somebody's gonna give you this little zinger. And your natural instinct is gonna be to give them that little zinger back. Maybe your instinct will be to run away and pretend it didn't happen and just bury it deep down inside. But instead, whether it's today or tomorrow, this week, we're all gonna say together here's my chance. And I want you right in that moment, just say a little prayer for that person. Not a prayer of, hey, God, strike them down, strike them dead, but a prayer of, hey, God, would you just bless them? Would you help them? I mean, don't do it obviously, like don't get on your knees right in front of them, you know, in this posture. Don't do that. But you just kind of say a little prayer and then you move on with your day. You offer them up to Jesus. You offer them over to Jesus and his goodness and kindness and care. So um, so here's what I want to do. Last thing, and then I'm going to pray for us. I just want you to envision who those people are, who that person is that doesn't like you, that may have betrayed you, that may have taken you to court. They may have disappointed you. They may have lied to you. They may have deceived you. I want you to picture that person in your mind. And right now we're going to pray for that person together, all of us in the room. So the beauty is we're praying. We got hundreds and hundreds of people covered here. Isn't that beautiful? So let's pray for that person right now. God, all of us have different people in our heads, but God, you know, you know. And so God, we pray for those that would insult us, that would lie about us, that would cheat us, those who've hurt us, those who've wronged us. God, we offer them up to your care. We ask you to do good things in their heart and mind and life. We ask you to bless them. We ask you to draw them to yourself. We ask you to be kind to them. We ask that they may one day come to know your great love. God, would you help us treat them in such a way that they would see your love, your life in us? God, would you use our responses to them to literally change the trajectory of not just their life, but their entire eternity. So, God, we say here, now, together, here's my chance. Here's my chance. And when we see that chance, let's take it. That's Steve Winwood, by the way, not God. But, God, we do. We just pray and we just ask you to to be good and kind to them. And so, God, today, would you change our hearts? Would you change our minds? Would you help us to apply this teaching that is so, so hard for us? But we admit that, and you know that about us. But also, God, you're kind to us. You help us. So help us take hold of that and help us not retaliate in anger or retreat in fear, but to live freely in light of your approval, your love, your affection. We ask and we pray in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, we're so glad you guys chose to worship with us this week. God bless you. Be sure to take your chance this week.